Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci are brutal mobsters in Martin Scorsese's decidedly unromantic view of the workaday life of New York mobsters in Goodfellas. It's one of the four new fall movies we'll be reviewing this week on Siskel and Ebert. We'll also take a look at the controversy surrounding Spike Lee's most recent movie, Mo' Better Blues. He's been charged with anti-Semitism. A look at racial stereotyping later in the show. I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Since 1976, when he directed Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese has stood, I think, alone at the top of the art of film directing in the world today. His Raging Bull was generally conceded to be the best film of the decade of the 1980s, and now with Goodfellas, Scorsese has scored another magnificent achievement. This is a great film, a film about Scorsese's favorite subjects, the great tragic subjects like avarice and jealousy, murder and guilt, and it ranks with The Godfather in his portrait of the crime syndicate. The movie stars Ray Liotta in the true story of Henry Hill, an Irish-Italian kid whose only ambition was to work for the mob. He envied the way they seemed to get dates with the best-looking girls and the way the nightclub waiters always seemed to know their names. That's Lorraine Bracco as his wife, Karen, who discovers that being married to the mob means being absorbed into a self-contained cocoon of mob values and mob friendships. One of Leota's best friends in the outfit is played here by Joe Pesci, the same great actor who played the kid brother in Raging Bull. He has an out-of-control temper that flares instantly into violence. Come on, don't be like that. What do you mean, don't be like that? <laughs> <laughs> The movie also stars Scorsese's longtime favorite actor, Robert De Niro, who in this scene tells Leota that it looks like Pesci's going to make it into the mob's inner circle. He's going to be a made man. You believe that, this little bastard? Huh? Huh? You're going to get made? We're going to work for this guy one day. He's going to be a boy. <laughs> <laughs> what you get in Goodfellas is a portrait of an American life. Young ambition, early promise, a steady rise through the organization, and the business therein is stealing things and killing people. The life of the mafia in this film seems almost hermetically sealed. The characters don't associate with anyone else, and so their values come to seem valid to themselves because nobody disagrees with them. I have never seen even a movie by Scorsese that really wrapped me up so much into the world of the emotions of these people. A day, two days after the movie was over, I still myself felt guilty, I think identifying with the guilt of the Ray Liotta character, guilt not only that he did bad things, but the worst kind of guilt, which is the guilt that he still wanted to do them. He wishes he was still doing them. What is great about this picture and the way it's organized as a movie is that it seems that it would be about this guy who's narrating his life, but I thought the person that took center stage and was really emblematic of what Scorsese and Nick Pileggi, who wrote the book uh, that this film is based on, really think about the mob, is the character played by Joe Pesci, mm -hmm. the guy who can explode at any second, who's basically an animal. Mm -hmm. It's an animal who, when you're verbally insulted, pulls out a gun and shoots you. Mm -hmm. I've never done that mm -hmm. to you on the show. But they, they play, <laughs> they, he's a pig. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the film, and what I like about Scorsese's work is, he takes, in a very theatrical, exciting way, moral stands. Mm -hmm. He makes The Last Temptation of Christ. He makes Raging Bull about, he makes films about sinners mm -hmm. and finds the sa saints and sinners and sinners and saints. Mm -hmm. And this guy, he's saying about the mob, these guys are scum. Mm -hmm. He says it. 
That's so refreshing in an artful, beautiful way. Well, I think one of the... I agree with you that Pesci's performance is so important in this movie, and it's so good in this movie. There's not a bad performance no, in the movie. No, there isn't. One that's going to be overlooked is Lorraine Bracco as the wife. That. She's very important. What's The reason that you're, I think, attracted to Pesci is because the Leota character is always an outsider. Right. He's not a pure Sicilian. He's half Irish. He can never be a made man in the mob. He's always right. looking from the outside. He sees it even when he's in the middle of it with a certain objectivity. And so it's told through his point of view. He looks at these guys. He sees how they work with each other. And it's a fascinating movie. It's a... It's a great well, American film. Okay, I've seen it twice. I'm going back lots more times. And what okay. I'll go back for is small things, editing scenes, uh, the, the way he jumps in on dialogue, the way there's that whole sequence about when the Ray Liotta character gets into drugs and it's shot in a whole different fashion because mm -hmm. he's high on drugs mm -hmm. and Scorsese, the artist, wants to show yeah. us that. It's very and you could also And you could also mention the scene when somebody doesn't realize he's about to get killed and then he realizes it. And that moment yeah. of realization is like a hammer blow from the screen. What we ought to do is in a couple of weeks after people see this picture, maybe we'll go back and look at it again and talk more about it. Now, Two very admiring thumbs up for Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, a story of everyday life in the mob. We both think it's clearly one of the year's best films. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, The Dave Trescow Show, coming at you at a very warm December evening, December 17th, Thursday, December 17th. Uh, would technically be enjoying the holiday season, except it's just so unseasonably warm. I mean, this Al Gore clearly got it right. Something is wrong with the state of the world. In so many different ways. How you doing, everybody? It's going to be a great night and a great show. We're back, alone, no guests. The way the people have spoken, and they love it. David Tell is a fruitcake and a weirdo. Nobody needs him. But, you know, he's still a pal. <laughs> well, last week's show was interesting. The great David Tell here. I mean, it is an honor to have him on his show. He, uh, he doesn't come on everybody's show. Of course, for him to... Even come over to my house all this way, all the way across town. And if you don't know anything about Manhattan, it is a hassle. It seems ridiculous. It's probably only like two miles away, and yet it is the most vicious two miles to get across that there is. Yesterday, I did Artie Lang's podcast. I did the city bike all the way from my house to the exact other west side to the water, from water to water, to get to the ferry to go to Hoboken. Because technically, Artie lives equally on my block, but straight ahead through the water. <laughs> but here we are. It's uh, almost Christmas time. It's almost a break. It's almost a new year. And we are ready to push forward into 2016. Well, hopefully we'll be better personally for your pal Dave Juskow, who didn't hate 2015. It just um, didn't really do anything, you know. It's no big deal. I'm sure most people feel that way. It is a reflective time of the year. That's why I always, I told you last week, I stopped going to Temple. It became too reflective for me and things weren't going my way. Perhaps once they do again, maybe I'll become more religious again. But for now, it's only lighting the menorah with Dave Attell once a year on this podcast. <laughs> 
And if, if you didn't like that uh, religion, if you're one of Aunt Judy's friends, if you didn't ap- appreciate the, the, the blessings uh, over the candle lighting, I apologize. You can't please everybody, but um, ironically, doing the blessings uh, over the candles and my mother doesn't listen to the show, which is best the way I speak about her, but um, there it is. So I played that opening scene uh, from uh, Siskel and Ebert's review of Goodfellas because because you know what? It's funny. I mean, you and I know the people that listen to this show, the big, you know, people that love this show the way I do. I can let that play. It's five minutes long because you know we love Goodfellas. So what's better than to hear two legendary movie critics talk about, gush about the film we love when it first opened. That tape is from September 1990. And what's better for a movie to come out and these two guys knowing this is an instant classic? What they just witnessed and Cisco's going like, I've seen it twice, I'm going back! And you know us, we, we watch anytime it's on TV, like The Godfather as they compared it to and how do you not? We're going to sit there and watch it. It's arguably could be even more entertaining than The Godfather in its pace for this day and age, 20 years later, Godfather being 40 years later. It, it's arguably better. You know, I mean, you can make a case for it. You know, I don't want to get sacrilegious or anything, but you could make a case that Goodfellas is much more entertaining than The Godfather. But, of course, there would be no Goodfellas without The Godfather. So... You know, there you have it. But two completely different mob movies. And, you know, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head. When you look at The Godfather, and obviously I've been really looking into it because, as you know, January 25th, the big, big first month of The Godfather, and, you know, if it works, it'll be a second month. I, I can't imagine it won't. Um, the big Godfather reading. I'm already writing the, the February one already, uh, just in case. And uh, when you take a look at it, and the way I'm writing it now, I'm going into the February one where he has the meeting with Salazzo. And, you know, the whole premise of the first Godfather is how Don Corleone has made all the right moves in his life except this last one which brings down the entire family by saying no to drugs, by saying no to the future, by saying no to expanding and perhaps you know uh, everything going differently but that being very much based on a lot of truth it's interesting because Goodfellas is what he probably didn't want it to become and the way the mob is uh, and became 20 or you know in in that uh, case well that was the 70s so that would be yeah about 30 years down the line and how kind of um Different and the, the players in it so much different than the old school Sicilians, even though it's still that, you know, stupid uh, <laughs> Sicilian ridiculousness where, uh, you know, they, they go back like, what happened to all the men in this town? Oh, they're killed on vendettas. Everybody's very angry here. Very angry. <laughs> so Sicilians almost like, uh, you know, ISIS uh, being the stupidest of all people i'm sorry yeah i'm saying it because you know what's stupider than somebody going to a town and saying where are all the men oh they were killed on vendettas that's the stupidest fucking thing you've ever heard right but that's why we love it because uh we know it's ridiculous we know it's you know people get mad but you got to get mad and then you got to relax 
because otherwise you're not going to have any men or in ISIS's pack, uh, no, no women, which is even the stupidest thing. I was thinking of this on the walk home today. I was thinking to myself, what's their end game? What would they prefer to wipe out everyone that doesn't believe in what they believe? But who is it that believes what they believe? A very small percentage. So say they were able to wipe out everybody. Well, then what? Then what do you do? So then you don't have any girls. You can't have any fun. Wouldn't you rather wipe out anybody that doesn't want to have any fun? (laughs) Just wipe out people that are crotchety and believe in technically. I mean, it sounds horrible, but you know what I'm saying. Like, if if, if I was going to fight for something, I would fight for the world that I want to live in is where I can sleep with any girl I want to and, and do whatever I want. They, they don't seem to feel that way. They're like, no, no. It has to be a respectable girl. And we have to get married. Meanwhile, they fight for the cause where if they uh, suicide and kill themselves, they sleep with, uh, we've talked about this before, 70 virgin, virgins or something. And again, we've said before, who the hell wants to sleep with a bunch of virgins? You want a mix. And quite frankly, I maybe one virgin would be fine. That's a, a mess and a nightmare. There's crying involved. You want a mix of different kind of ladies. And quite frankly, if you're in heaven, you might even, you know, try the other way because you got you to mix it up. You're in there forever. You're like, well, yeah, you know, try, I did this other thing. I can't even uh, say it because, you know, it uh, doesn't work for me. Even though everybody thinks I'm gay, I'm very sure I'm not because uh, I, I, you know, I can't even, uh, you know, I think about it. I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, there's certain many times and when you reach this age, and you have a cat and you're, you know, and you live by yourself. You, you definitely are. I'm like, wait, am I gay? Am I? It, I mean, is it just can we just do this? You know, there's not going to be one person that would be surprised if I came out of the closet or anything. You know, they'd be like, yeah, I told you. You know, it'd be like that Ellen people would be giving out, uh, you know, give, paying other people like, see, I told you I win. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've looked into this. I haven't experimented or tried because I'm not interested. But I've definitely, you know, you have to look at it like, well, wait a minute now. Or, I'm a, or am I a third thing? And what is that? And I always think about the Simpsons episode with Troy McClure. And he goes, and, uh, you know, he marries a Selma. And he goes, Troy, are you gay? Oh, I wish. No, I have a thing called something. I think he sleeps with fishes, you know, like not Luca Brazzi, but actual fishes so that was weird maybe that's something i don't know i must be looking for a third thing i i can't figure out what it is but well lately i've been thinking you know i'd like to go out with a a girl i've been going out a couple of dates i guess and stuff i was thinking i'd you know maybe i'd like to you know because for a while sometimes you give up and then you get back into it and then you give up you know because you get it's just like my career you get disenchanted after a while. You, the rejection is just, you can only take so much. People are like, no, you got to push through it. Well, you know, what age do you just give up? But clearly I still try because I do this podcast. I'm just talking about girls, talking about my career and everything. I do the podcast and I uh, did Artie's yesterday. Yesterday, oh, well, let me tell you something. This, um, this girl I know is supposed to come to town. I don't know what's happening and I don't really want to call her because... You know, when she comes to town, it's a kind of a shit show. And we've, you know, fooled around in the past. And she's, um, I know she told me she was coming to town. You know, I get the text. The text, you know, nobody really wants because this girl's a, a loose cannon. 
as Rachel would call it, titties McFun. And, uh, you know, I got the text. She's like, I'm coming to town. And I just wrote back, oh, God. And she's like, yeah, listen, just relax. Now, I've known this girl for a little bit of time. She's, uh, you know, a very pretty Floridian. And those girls are crazy. They are cuckoo and crazy, the Floridians. And let me tell you something. I mean, these girls are crazy. They're cuckoo, man. Um, last time she came to town by herself, which is odd because she used to come with her sister-in-law, who was my best pal, this girl Katie. And, uh, but last time she came to town two years ago by herself. And I was like, oh, my God, is that wise? Because she drinks, you know, to where she, you know, one of those fallen down girls you can't reason with, which is a disaster for any man or woman. Um, you know, to put up with. It's very difficult to deal with. So she comes to town. My friend Kate goes, hey, can you, you know, she's coming to town. Can you, you know, look after her a little bit? Because she's, you know, coming to town first time by herself for business. And she's got a boyfriend now. And she doesn't cheat on him. And she doesn't, she's not drinking as much. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Good for her. So I met her for lunch. I thought that was a very safe thing. And we, we talked. We didn't drink. And I was like, you know what? This is great. She's fantastic. Look, you know what? I've never seen this. I always say she's drunk. And um, I'm like, you know what? She's, she's okay. What a nice, what a pleasant girl this is. You know, I, I, sometimes I forget. And I, never, I don't really have a chance to talk to her because, you know, it's just always about drinking. And um, she's like, hey, do you, do you want to hang out tonight? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, let, let's do it. Let's do it. And did you ever see that movie or if you heard of it called Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Kim Bassinger from the 80s? And the premise is that Bruce Willis is getting set up with this girl by her friends and they say she's gorgeous. She's stunning. You're going to love her. She's totally your type. Uh, oh, but by the way, whatever you do, don't give her any alcohol. And he's like, why? Just don't do it. And he's like, okay. And then when you're watching this movie, you just get annoyed because the first thing he does is give her alcohol. I mean, he does it in a cool way. He bring, I mean, it's so pathetic. It's just so, it's too cool. He his, He's got some friend that's recording some jazz. Obviously, Bruce Willis must have been the producer of this because he's got some, oh, hey, my friend's recording an album. Uh, why don't we go by? I mean, it is a beautiful thing, like, uh, to take a first date to. And they're in the other room while his friend's recording. And then he opens a bottle of champagne. And she's like, oh, I shouldn't. He's like, ah, one glass. And she has a sip. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, out of control. She's just a mess. She's a horrible actress. But we know she's stunningly gorgeous. So the movie doesn't work because she's so bad. And it's stupid. And the reason she doesn't get drunk enough of the girls we know that do this, that it's that bad. And she just gets them into some wacky circumstances and it's not good enough for the kind of comedy you're looking for in that, you know, they would have been better off just getting somebody who didn't act at all, like just a really hot model, like 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 uh, the one that Derek Jeter just proposed to. It should Hannah Davis in that role would have been unbelievable. I mean, Kim Bassner was probably that hot, but then, but trying to be an actress it doesn't work it's better if you just don't even try uh and just have the most hottest girl you've ever seen which at this point would be hannah davis uh so yeah so it's it, it just like that movie don't feed her any alcohol because you say and we did it just like the movie in many ways uh she's like hey i'm gonna go get my hair blown out you know they have these places now where you go get your hair blown out 
and that's it. They don't cut it. They don't do anything. They basically have a bunch of people with a hair dryer. They charge you 50 bucks, and you get a blowout. In fact, I think that's the name. Oh, no, I think the name of the place is called Dry Bar. And, you know, you get a, like a blow dry. And while you're sitting there, they give you some champagne. So it begins just like it does in the movie. A harmless glass of champagne before you get, while you're getting your hair blown. <laughs> blown. And uh, so we come out of there. We're doing all right. And then, of course, I mean, where am I going to take her? We go to a bar. She's like, let's go to a bar. So we go to a bar. And uh, I don't know what we're doing. We're talking. And yeah, we start kissing a little bit. It's all right. It's all right. You know, whatever. But I'm like, you know, I'm not taking her anywhere. We're not going any further. She's got a, I know she's got a boyfriend. Let's just keep it mellow. She's insane a little bit. So I don't know what she had because I wasn't that wasted. I, I really don't know what happened. I mean, this girl drinks like a fish, so I don't know how she got so loaded so fast. Maybe she didn't eat. I mean, we had some of the champagne, and then we must have just been at that bar for two hours. Maybe we had three drinks. She was plastered. She couldn't stand up. I was trying to take her home. I was walking her home down Broadway of all places. And then she's like, I'm starving. And then, you know, the, the slur of the word. She can't walk. She's, you know, she's not a thin girl. <laughs> she's not heavy, but you know what I'm saying. She's not, you know, not a, not a stick. Uh, uh, so she's hard to lift up. And she's like, I want a hot dog. So I get her a hot dog. And she, like, shoves it in her mouth. It is the most repulsive thing you've ever seen. If there was anything we were going to do that night, that was out the window. Just that was in my head. Just her putting the hot dog down like it was the eating contest in Coney Island. That she was all of a sudden Joey Chestnut, you know, and her mouth was like, you know, oh, my God. And she just can't even walk to the hotel. I'm lifting her up. She's staying at the Marriott Marquis. And I love the Marriott Marquis. So I have to walk her home to the Marriott. I have to make sure she gets home safe. So I take her to the Marriott Marquis and I and I take her upstairs to the hotel. I mean, I always love those rooms. But I swear I'm dropping her off and I'm leaving. Because at this point she's repulsive. So I walk her into the hotel room and I put her on the bed and I walk over to the window because the view is spectacular because I remember going there in the 80s with a girl you know what I'm talking about <laughs> what's up uh, using my mom's credit card uh, you know because <laughs> uh, what are you going to do back then what are you going to do where am I going what am I going to do uh, what I got to do back then you know what I'm saying so uh, so I look in the window and I'm like god I forgot how spectacular a view this is that's what I say out loud all of this must have taken 20 seconds, possibly 30. The walk to the window, the looking out for five seconds without saying anything, then saying my line, which was, God, I forgot how spectacular this view is, turning around, and all of a sudden she's completely naked with her legs up in the air, like, I don't know how she took off her clothing that fast. I didn't hear any rumbling. 
She was definitely on the bed. She never got up. And she's like, come on, Jessica, let's fuck. And I'm like, ew. <laughs> and you wonder, am I gay? I don't know. It was just, there was just something so repulsive about the whole thing. She's just like so dirty, you know, like, come on, Jessica, let's fuck. And I'm like, what about your boyfriend? She's like, hey, he don't care. It's the exact opposite of what her sister-in-law told me. She's like, hey, come on, Jessica. If I can fag it. <laughs> Which is really funny because I'll tell you a story another time about her mother who I went on a date with because I was asked to be her date and she said the same thing. Jessica, you're a fucking faggot, dirty Jew. <laughs> this girl had called me a dirty Jew on multiple occasions, which that I, of course, you know, that's hot. If they still want to actually, you know, have sex with you. So uh, I just put her in the, I'm like, listen, kid, I, I got to go. You, you got to rest. You're a mess. I put the covers on her and she's like, come on. And, I, and, I, and, and then by the time I get to the hotel door, you know, it's a small room. She's pretty much passed out. And then I leave. Her sister-in-law to this day doesn't believe that I didn't do anything, but I swear to you, I never lie uh, because she doesn't trust her sister-in-law. So I leave. I don't say anything to anybody about it. I mean, my friend, you know, my sister <laughs> told immediately, wait till you hear this, you know, that. And uh, so that was what, on maybe a Friday night. On Sunday, I get a call Sunday night from my friend Katie. And she says, Jessica, can you please pick up my sister-in-law? She's in the hospital. And I'm like, oh my God, why? And it's funny because I had heard through some texts on the grapevine that on Sunday she met a bunch of other girlfriends here and she got plastered drunk at brunch. Plastered to where she just left and nobody could find her. Well, apparently what happened was she went to the airport to go home. Like, you know, hey, it's my time to go home, but she's like, oh, and somehow got herself to the airport and got herself, I mean, you think about that, going to the city in the airport, obviously wasn't driving. Got herself to the airport, got herself to the security check-in. But just before she got on the plane, she was so hammered, she couldn't stand up. They wouldn't let her get on the plane. They put her in an ambulance. They called the police. They put her, this girl is way too drunk to be on this plane. They called the police. They put her in an ambulance and took her to the hospital. And so her sister Lo says, can you please pick her up at the hospital? And I said, absolutely not. It would be my pleasure to pick her up tomorrow morning. There is no way. I know exactly what's going to happen. I pick her up at the hospital. She goes, come on, Jessica. Let's get another drink. It's like I'd be so devastated that I missed my flight. She was just, come on, get another drink. And I'm like, no, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not dealing with that. So she had another friend pick her up. That's exactly what happened. She picked her up. She's like, and they went for another drink. <laughs> I'm like, not, not interested. I'll pick her up Monday morning when she's sober. She's a delight then. I mean, this girl is a hot mess. I think that's exactly why the word was created. Come on, Jessica, let's fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> it's a classic story. Anyway, she's coming to town. I'm not texting until I get the text from her. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, oh, are you coming? Because I don't, it's better to not see her, but I do feel bad if she's here by herself. I mean, I am a gentleman. And I have to do my gentleman duties. 
But uh, yipes. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic story, I think. It's a little different than you might remember from uh, the thing we played last week. And now, the Mickey Mouse Club presents Annette. Oh, my favorite theme. I love these 50s themes. And what's the name of the episode? Today's episode, Almost a Fight. <gasps> hey, everybody. Hi, gang. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, gang. Hi. They're at the malt shop. And I'll tell you, it's so weird with that spin the bottle one. It's so weird. I was looking on, you know, I'm watching this spin the bottle. They're going to play spin the bottle. I'm like, wow. I do not remember this being so controversial. It's so weird. If you ever get a chance to see this on YouTube, the Annette, the Annette serial, Mickey Mouse Club, with the spin the bottle episode, it, it, it's so weird. They all gather around, play spin the bottle, but it has nothing to do with kissing. I, I mean, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Different time, huh? Hi, Jay. Hi, Daddy. Your maker come out with it or let her have it. Now, don't get excited on my account, Jet. Who's excited? After all, she did back down when I called her on it. Huh. And really, now, she didn't exactly accuse me. How close can you come? She's a real snake in the grass, she is. And if you don't <laughs> watch out, she'll get you. You wait and see. She's a real snake in the grass, she is. And if you don't get it, she'll get you. You'll see. Who the fuck is writing this shit? Nobody talked like that back then, did they? Am I wrong? Is this like Shakespeare times when you're little and you have no idea what's going on with Shakespeare and your teacher finally says, you know, they didn't talk like this by then. This is a somebody who just wrote like this. One dude. You know, and you're like, what? And then you think like, oh, no, that's the way they used to talk back then. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, what are we saying? That our, our, our parents used to talk like this? And I'll tell you, she'll get you, she will. She's a troublemaker, that one. That, come on. But everything we know about the 50s, it seems like they did talk like this. I don't know. Back to the Future, Greece. But, come on. That, that, really? Do you think? I don't know. I'm not old enough to know, but it just seems so weird. Look, chum, do me a favor, will you? Cheers, Daddy, what is it? Get lost! <laughs> what? Look, chum, do me a favor. Yeah, what is it? Get lost! I mean, every bit of dialogue is better than the next. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I just pressed play. Hey, Steve! Boy, you should have been over the mall job just now. You almost missed a honey of a fight. <laughs> this, is this is unbelievable. What? I didn't even know he was going to get this today. You should have been at the mall shop. There was a honey of a fight today. Who the fuck is writing this dialogue? Now I've got to go online. I've got to find out who these writers are. And I have to, I mean, I've got to look them up. I've got to do the research. Did they ever write any movies? Is this what they were asked to do by Walt Disney? What the hell? That's the strangest thing I've ever heard. Oh, that is classic. That is epic. 
Maybe we'll play more later. Uh, oh, so I'm I'm completely a mess today. I'm having a really good time now, but I was, oh my God, I was so hungover or something today. Here's what I did yesterday. I, I took the city bike, right? And then I took the ferry. I went to Artie's, did his podcast. It was the strangest thing. I guess it's out today if they even did it because here's what happened. I get there at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock. I don't know what Artie's doing. He doesn't appear. He's like a princess. He doesn't appear like, hello, everyone, until 3.30. I'm in his apartment, but I don't know where he is. He's, I, I, I don't, he's got another room or something. He doesn't come out till he's showering. He's on the phone. 3.30 comes out. He's like, let's do the podcast. We talked to Richard Roper, which is, again, which is why I was playing the Siskel and Ebert. I keep thinking I was playing these old clips of Siskel and Ebert. So great hearing them gushing about a classic. I've done it with uh, Hannah and her sisters, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Hearing them talk about a film that, I, that means so much to me, where they like it so much, where they're trying to explain, you have to see this film because it's amazing. Uh, you know, it's really cool. Uh, so we talked to Richard Roper for a half hour. Then we take a break. Uh, we reconvene. He's got to make a couple calls. We reconvene about 5 o'clock. Now, we only have a half hour on tape right now. Around 5 o'clock, we reconvene. And uh, I'm in the middle of telling a story about my friend whose daughter died. And he, and he, and he gets a pizza delivered. And... Uh, I don't even know when he had time to order it, and I didn't even know Artie ordered anything himself. The pizza just comes, and then and then all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of this story, and you think you want to hear this ending uh, because it, you know it's really good. It's not it's sad, but it's also you know it's got a good punchline. And and uh, he all he was thinking about was the pizza. So then we had to stop again and eat the pizza, and we never resumed. Uh, we both had one slice apiece and then he went to make more calls and then I had to go. <laughs> so I, I think I spoke for 20 minutes, but I was there for seven hours. <laughs> well, five. I mean, it was so funny. I mean, just sometimes we just talk without, you know, the thing being on. I'm always like, let's not talk about this. Let's get on the air and talk, you know, but I mean, Artie's the best and his producer, Dan's really nice and he's interesting, actually. Like, he was telling me his entire career but it's one of those few occasions where it was very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, he's friends with his producer, Dan Filato, is friends with, uh, very good friends with Harry Shear and Bill Murray. And, you know, hearing how he, uh, be, you know, he became the producer of Artie's stuff, you know, especially when he was on the direct TV show. That's where I met him. Uh, fascinating stuff. Ironically, I should have him on this podcast, the producer of Artie's show, the podcast, because uh, he is really interesting. But uh, I had to go because it was Irene Bremises, our friend Irene from the show. It was her birthday uh, some Saturday uh, As because I have so many friends that their birthday's December 13th. It's ridiculous. Uh, my friend Ron is also December 13th, so we had a party for him on Saturday where I had my party over the summer at the uh, Kimberly Hotel, but he had it in the restaurant downstairs. And, but it was potato lock a day. So I went to my mom's and my brother-in-law makes amazing potato lock. He's an amazing cook and he's not Jewish, but he makes amazing potato lockers. But my mother ruined everything once again because she was standing over him. She was going all crazy, she put a wrong attachment in the food processor. So everything came out bad, it came out too stringy. It wasn't able to mash a mash up. 
And then she started yelling at everybody because she knew she had messed up. And she, you know, that, I guess that was her way of just like, David, you haven't done anything. She just started screaming at everybody. Liza, why isn't the table set? Just going crazy. She was clearly embarrassed. But then she was standing over Matt saying, you're using too much salt. And sometimes he does salt too much, but he's figured it out now. But you don't want anybody, you know, standing over you. I know whenever he's cooking, I stay out of the kitchen. I peeled the potatoes, but we have a rotato. And, you know, it's an old thing I got from Ronco. And it's a great way to peel potatoes. I love it. So I said, please wait till I get there to peel the potatoes. But, you know, it takes me an hour and a half to just get out of the city. So I was a half hour late. My mother's mad at that. Matt was angry at that. There's nothing I could do. I did the best I can. I had to go to spin class, didn't I? I had to go to spin class. I was going to eat 30 potato lockers. I had to go to spin class. I'm a 50-year-old man. I had to go to spin class before I eat 30 potato lockers. Oh, and I ate them. Well, I ate 25. Because I'm 50, I, I can't eat that much. Plus, I knew I had to go out. So I left there. We lit the candles. And, oh, and I the reveal of my niece's gift. I can tell you now. And uh, the worst part is, I told you about her. She's just, uh, you know, we were so excited. We're like, oh, my God, she's going to shit herself. She's going to shit. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, I don't think she cared. I don't know. I don't know. She's just got no reaction. Just like my sister. Like, they're very cold. They don't, they're, not, they're not a lot of fun. Um, so here's what went down with this. Uh, I'm all over the place, but this was my niece's birthday gift, but I had to tell her about it on Hanukkah Christmas because there has to be planning. In August, I had heard, she's a huge Harry Potter fan. And, you know, she's having a bad time in school, so I wanted to do something nice. And in August, I had heard they're making a new Harry Potter play. You know, the movies are finished, the books are finished, but for some reason, they're making a new Harry Potter play, and it is only in London. And I said, geez, can you imagine? <laughs> She'd shit herself, you know, if I get these tickets. So I kind of went through the protocol, and I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll do some more research. Did some more research. I went in this line. They're like, all right, you're signed up. You can get first priority to the tickets. I'm like, eh, right, I'm gonna go. yeah, I'm going to London, right, whatever. And it just kept coming up in October. You're like, okay, here's what you have to do. Tickets go on sale October 28th. You have to be at this website address. You have to sign in. You got to get your credit card information. It's all this. And you got to be ready at 7 a.m., which is 11 a.m., you know, London time. And I was ready. Uh, you know, I woke up at like 5.30 in the morning. That day. I'm like, all right, you know what? You know what? You know, I just kept going. I'm like, I'm going to get the tickets. I'm going to get the tickets. And then I'll figure it out from there. Because the tickets in London theater... You know, I'm told you I got those Hamilton tickets. I bought extra so I could sell them for $1,000 a piece. Well, in London, this will probably be the hottest show ever because all the tickets are already sold out, Harry Potter. There's, it's in two fucking parts. Two parts. So we got to go at 2.30 in the afternoon and then at 7.30 in the afternoon or an evening. You got to see two separate plays. The whole thing for two of us, for two plays, 300 bucks. 300 bucks. That's it. I don't understand what the difference is between London Theater and New York Theater, but somebody screwed up here. If that's the hottest show on Broadway in Hamilton, let's just say Hamilton is... I mean, Hamilton was 165 a ticket if you can get an actual, the actual price. And that's, you know, because they have this preferred seating, whatever. $167 ticket, so that's two tickets. So that's 300 bucks. But remember, I told you I'm seeing two shows for 300 bucks. I don't know how they do it. 
So I went online and I messed up. I was ready. I had coffee. I was ready. And then it said, okay, it's seven o'clock. You're online. It's going to take an hour. And I'm like, oh no, I have to be somewhere at eight. I didn't realize. I thought I'll just do it. It'll take a half hour or whatever. I didn't think it would take an hour. It was 5,000th in place. So then I, I had to work something out. I had to get offline. Oh, it's a disaster. Blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, I, I have to go to this other machine I set up and, and, and I'm in 20,000th place. Within, and I, five minutes later, I'm in 20,000th place. I'm like, damn it. By 10.30, it's my turn to get tickets. Everything's sold out. I'm trying to get tickets in July. Everything's sold out. I was so upset. I started to cry because it was such an emotional roller. I was like, you know, I'm doing this great thing and then I messed it up because I'm an idiot. You know, it's like a, I was mad because I'm like, it's, it's a metaphor for my existence. You know, that's the way I was thinking. And uh, then uh, I had a friend who was just like, yeah, I heard they got all sold out. Everybody's talking about it online. And I'm like, they are? Damn it. And then also I just kept checking. I kept checking. And they're like, okay, now we're going to release September to December. And I'm like, oh, I got another chance. So I went online again, and I'm like, you know what? Let me just get the tickets, even though she'll be at school. I'll get the tickets. I'll just, I'll just get it. I'll try. I'll try. And then you're like, I don't know how the seating is there. It's different. They call them things differently. Everything's weird. And, um, you know, I'm like, is, is this good? Every ticket I press, it says obstructed view, obstructed view. And finally, I found two, and I'm like, wait a minute. Is this right? You know, it was such a – you had to go so fast because they were going crazy. Finally got two really awesome seats, and I did it. And I told my sister about it, and she's like, oh, my God, she's going to go crazy. And I'm like, well, I don't know whether we're definitely going, but we have the tickets. And then my sister was like, you know what? We got we to gotta do this. We got to do it. It's just too great an opportunity. She's always wanted to go to London because why? She's a huge Harry Potter fan. She wants to go to London. Then I found out there that the Harry Potter people, uh, they kept the sets from the studio. They just kept them all. My, my cat is knocking down the menorah. Um, they, which is very sacrilegious, Selena. You know, that's very rude. Um, they kept the sets of, from Warner Brothers so you can go on the tour of the actual sets. I mean, she's really going to go crazy. This is her dream come true. Uh, and then I found out they got Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory over there. That's a musical. Because you can see a lot of plays over there because they're really cheap. And I'm like, well, I guess we can go see that too. I mean, it's crazy. So I put it in a little book and I vellobound it. And I put it like, you know, here's... You know, here, do you know what this is? I didn't even know she knew about the play. And she goes, you know, I give the book and, uh, you know, she sees the play and she goes, oh, are we are we going to London? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, oh, great. I mean, it was a better reaction than that, but, you know, I, I wanted her to actually have a heart attack. <laughs> like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wanted her to be jumping up, like one of those things you, you know, you put on YouTube. And then everybody's like, what's the matter with you? You know the way she is. She, she just doesn't get excited about anything, even though she's probably ridiculously excited. But, you know, you want, you want the drama. You want the action. You know, but I guess she's from, like, the 50s. A fight? Yeah, Ned and Laura. They almost came to blows. Isn't that so, Mike? Isn't what so? How about Annette and Laura getting in a hassle? Every, every line is brilliant. Isn't that so, Moore? About a net nor getting into a hassle. <laughs> so anyway, that is the big news that I'm taking my niece to London to see this play, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to do it now, but, uh, you know, uh, it sucks. I really want to go in July, uh, in September. Football season, come on. 
You know I hate missing a week. Although watching it over there could be totally cool because the games might be on at midnight. Oh my God, that'll be so awesome. Everything is awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, after the potato lockers, I have to go out to a party and I got there like two hours after everybody was there. Everybody was hammered. And so I just, I couldn't catch up because I was so stuffed with carbs. I could not get to their level. I tried. I ate like two jackets. First of all, every drink was like $18, but people were kind enough to buy me a couple of drinks. Um, I had two or th I had three Jack and Cokes. Just didn't feel a thing. Could not get to the level. I had a, a vodka tonic and a beer, and I just was like, and they were moving on after, and I'm like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to go home. It's not working for me, and everybody's talking to me. You know how you know it is when everyone else is drunk and you're not. It's like it's so difficult to talk to people. <laughs> I mean, it was okay, but you know what I mean. Everybody else is in a completely different state. And I don't know. It was. Uh, I I didn't. My stomach didn't hurt or anything, which was unbelievable. Uh, but I knew I was close to home, so maybe that helped too. But I'm glad I got to see everybody, and I saw my friend uh, Scott who listens to this show, which couldn't have made me happier. That made me so happy. Somebody who really appreciates the show, uh, who also told me he doesn't, you know, he likes when I'm alone. And that made me happy too, because you know I was talking about that. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't bring a guest, but I think nobody cares. So, you know, I mean, are we not having a good time today? Is this not a classic episode? I mean, we, we're already 45 minutes in. We're having a great time. We're doing the Annette Funicello. And let me tell you something. Nobody's jugs are bigger than Annette's. Annette and Laura? Oh, come now, Steady. Well, it wasn't exactly a fight. Laura just made a couple of cracks about that necklace of hers, and Annette called her on it. Oh. I wonder what the dickens could have happened. Oh, my God, this is brilliant! Should I just keep playing this like I did the Siskel and Ebert thing? What the... <laughs> I wonder what the dickens could have happened. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like a joke. It's like somebody would do this in a play about the 50 as a, as a gag. Truly fascinating. Anyway, so last night I went to Irene's birthday, started drinking again, and then I drank. I guess I drank a lot. I had two Jack and Cokes and then just started drinking wine. Then we had some appetizers. It was like a sit-down thing, but it wasn't a dinner. But uh, Steve paid for everything, so that was very nice. Um... And a lot of wine. And then I switched over to beer. And then we went to his pizza place afterwards. He goes, come on, we'll go to the pizza place. And then I had like three beers and a slice of pizza. And I'm like, what's the matter with you? Wait, wait, aren't we all full? But then I realized we only had appetizers, but still, his pizza's so good. It's just like I could, I could eat so much more, but I was trying not to. And so I guess I was messed up. And then we went to the comedy cellar because Dave was going to be there. You know, it was almost 1 o'clock. You know, he shows up at like 1.30. So I'm like, well, whatever. So we go over. I get, you know, I have another beer. I see lots of... I saw Judah Friedlander. We had a really nice talk. Uh, and Jeff was there. Jeff Ross came in with that beautiful girl. Uh, just unbelievably gorgeous girl who I just find very attractive. So I didn't mind that. And then we went down to see David and Jeff perform. And they were brilliant. Jeff has this new joke. Um which I thought was funny, but my sister didn't, uh, where he says, if you read the diary of Anne Frank, uh, I've been reading the diary of the other people that were in the attic with her, and they say she was a cunt. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. And they get up and they roast people and stuff. It's a great night, but it's two in the morning when they first get on stage. 
And uh, you know, then I, you know, I then I was talking to the people there. Like Attell was waiting for me outside. He left. He was angry that I didn't. Then for, they were angry that I didn't go on stage. They saw me run out. They're like, "Sir, sir, sir!" And I just ran away. I just didn't want to be roasted or go on stage with them and do the bit. I should probably come up with something to say uh, when I'm up there because they keep dragging me up, which of course is an honor. Uh, and then I was talking to some people there. And it was like three and everybody was gone when I walked outside. So then I went to the bar next door, which I like the people there and they were closed up, but they let me in. I didn't even have another drink. Normally I do. She's like, you want a shot? I'm like, no, no, my God, let's end this. <laughs> but I wasn't drunk. Uh, you know, I was buzzed, but not drunk, drunk. Um, and I wasn't like feeling weird or anything, but then I was talking to them. So then I took the city bike home and the time I got home, it was four o'clock. I went to bed at 4.30. I was exhausted today. I had the word. I mean, I was just angry. Like, normally when I'm uh, hungover like that, I like a Starbucks, but I had three cups of coffee yesterday. I usually only have one because I had one in the morning, then I had one, a Starbucks at Artie's, and then I had a cappuccino uh, with the after the kind of, you know, dinner appetizer thing. So maybe that's why I was feeling so weird. And I was up for a couple hours, and I was out of it all day, and I'm like, ugh, I got to do the podcast, which I was looking forward to because I knew it would be the end of the day. But best part is that uh, then, after I finish this, I'm going to do what Lookwell always says, which is this. Good. No calls to make. I'll just kick back and enjoy some television. That's what I'm going to do. I say that all the time. Whenever I come home and I have nothing to do, good. No calls to make. I'll just kick back and watch some television. But uh, I want to hear it again. I don't know what good. No calls to make. I'll just kick back and enjoy some television. <laughs> you know, the my look well, right? All right, my cat's sitting on my notes. She, I know she's going to scratch me. I, give me this. Thank you. Uh, right, so... Oh, Monday, uh, it was uh, Sheba Mason's birthday. Remember? Jackie Mason's daughter. It's crazy. She's only 30, 30, even though she looks 107.5. But uh, anyway, we went there. Uh, which was fun. I saw my uh, comic, Russ Maneev. It was great to see him. And it was funny. We didn't go to the usual wing place because it was his birthday. It was a house of brews. And we had their wings. And they were different, but they were pretty good. I got nervous eating in front of people at first, but then um, I got hungry. And we watched the game there, the Giants-Miami game, which uh, was just stupid. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much the week. Um, also... Uh, I'd like to thank David Tell for last week. By the way, if you are listening to this, he is at the Governor's, I guess, this weekend. And then in, I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, he's at uh, the Helium Comedy Club in St. Louis, Missouri on the 21st to 23rd of January and the 29th to 30th at Cobbs County Club in San Francisco. And you can always catch his show Roadwork on Netflix. Now, uh, the Golden Globes were announced uh, this week. Uh, you know, first of all, with college football, I was right. But I thought I was crazy. They are doing the playoffs on New Year's Eve. That sucks. Because last year was fantastic. No one likes to move on New Year's Day. So watching two really awesome playoff games with amazing endings. Two of them was perfect. But on New Year's Eve, I'm not staying in to watch that. I mean, I 
you know, probably will. But uh, I don't have any plans. But I mean, that sucks. I don't like it. And the reason they have to do it is because the Rose Bowl won't. The last year, one of the ones was the Rose Bowl. They switch off, and the Rose Bowl's always on at four or five o'clock on New Year's Day, and they won't switch. I think this is a huge mistake. I don't think it is cool to do uh, playoffs on New Year's Eve at all. New Year's Eve always been the worst college football games because nobody wants that. Do you know it's starting at 4 o'clock? If, if you work, how is that cool? People work on New Year's Eve until at least 6 or 7. That's not cool. That makes me upset. Uh, and I'm, I'm not happy. But uh, next week... We will uh, go over, we will do our God, Christmas with the Godfather Part 2, where I will read from the Godfather, even though we're doing so much Godfather, but who cares? That's what I did last year. I went to the wedding scene. We'll uh, do further. And I'll talk about all the bowl games, uh, not so much the spreads, but you know how much I enjoy talking about the names that they have now and the old names and how just pathetic every bowl is, you know, until you get to the good ones, which is the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, all that kind of stuff, which is fun. But all the other, you know, the, the Poinsettia Bowl or the, you know, the, the the Zaxby's chicken bowl. So we can look forward to that next week. Uh, I know I was talking about the Golden Globes, but as long as we're on football, boy, I really tanked it in the NFL this week. I tanked it. I was just see there's a bunch of L's, meaning loser, down my thing. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got the first eight games wrong. My Thursday night, Arizona, they won. They didn't win by enough. I picked uh, Tennessee over the Jets. The Jets haven't covered a spread in 30 years. Are you kidding me? They beat the shit out of Tennessee. That never happens. Cincinnati, what a nightmare. They couldn't win at all. They, they lost their quarterback. It was a disaster. Kansas City could not cover the 10.5 spread. There was 10-3 to 3 the entire game. Then I picked Indianapolis over Jacksonville. Jacksonville beat the shit out of Indianapolis. I mean, I got everything really wrong. Buffalo could not beat Philadelphia. Detroit could not beat St. Louis in Detroit. Oh, no, it was in St. Louis at least, but still. Chicago, I had them over Washington. I thought Washington on the road, they got a road win. Their first road win of the season. I got everything wrong. The only thing I arrived with, Cleveland. And I feel like they could beat San Francisco. I was betting on Johnny Manziel. I thought Tampa Bay would beat New Orleans, but you know what? I messed that one up. New Orleans is doing much better we're going to bet them this week on Monday. They're back. They're going to win every other game now. They're back a little bit. It's too late, but they're back. So let's look at that one. Carolina over. So the big spreads won. Carolina minus 7.5 over Atlanta. I was positive of that one. I think I told you all that. We're betting against Atlanta. That was a brilliant one. Seattle minus 6.5. Well, that line went up to 11, as did the Carolina one up to 9 in real ones. Uh, Seattle covered the spread big time over Baltimore. That was a no-brainer because Seattle's playing like crazy. I totally lost on Denver and Oakland. Oakland won. Something's wrong with Denver, which sucks because they're playing Pittsburgh this week, and we need Pittsburgh to lose so the Jets can make it to the playoffs. Come on. You all know I'm right. Green Bay over Dallas, that was uh, easy because we're betting against Dallas and New England beat the crap out of Houston. I had that one and I had the Giants beating Miami, but that was easy because we're betting against certain teams. Now this week, 
I mean, tonight, uh, when we're doing this, Buccaneers at Rams, who the hell knows? But I'm going all Bucks. I love the Bucks. I like this Jameis Winston. I hated him, was rooting against him in college because he, you know, he had the thing where he was saying all this stuff and he seemed like a dick. He's pretty cool, and he's really into it, and he says really funny stuff. I like him a lot now, and I like the Bucks. Everybody likes the Bucks. Nobody hates the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nobody does, except... Uh, Who'd they beat in the Super Bowl? Did they beat the Colts? Can't remember. I assume that team would hate them. No, they beat the Raiders. It was the Raiders. Yeah, everybody thought the Raiders were going to be win with Rich Gannon and their high-powered offense and the Tampa Bay's ridiculous defense beat the crap out of Oakland. Yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, Jets-Cowboys. Well, all right. I'm going for it. I'm taking the Jets minus the three on the road. I think that's one of the best bets of the week. The Jets will always let you down, but I'm taking it. The Cowboys really stink. So if our theory of the ones that did win last week were you're betting on a team that stinks and you're betting on a team that played unbelievable last week, we're going Jets. The Bears and the Vikings, I have no idea. Do you take the Vikings minus six? I think so, but they're not playing that great either. So, I don't know. The Jaguars and the Falcons. Now, can you believe the Jaguars are favored minus three? Well, they're at home. You're betting against Atlanta, and the Jaguars are going crazy. So, yeah. This is what the Jaguars do. They play good at the end of the season. Uh, I don't know what the line is on the Texans calls the Chiefs Ravens. Now here we go. Now the Chiefs are favored by seven. Well, I don't know why they couldn't beat San Diego, but let's say that's uh, you know, a division game. They always have trouble with San Diego. Well, this is the Ravens. The Ravens are really bad. So even though the Chiefs are on the road, I got to take that seven. I got to take. There's no way I'm putting money on the Ravens. So we're betting against the Ravens. But the Chiefs are having trouble scoring lately. I don't know. The Bills and the Redskins. Well, I am taking the Redskins at home, but I'm not positive about it. The Redskins really stink too lately. They were lucky to beat the Cowboys. They didn't beat the Cowboys. I'm sorry. But then they beat Chicago somehow, and the Bills, they're weird. That's a really tough one. But I got to take the Redskins at home. You have to. If you have to take it. Don't bet on that game. The Patriots over the Titans. It's 14 and a half. How do you not take the Patriots? They're going to beat the crap out of them. You would think everybody was beating the big spreads last week. If you had a big spread, they won. They covered. Usually that doesn't happen in the NFL, but I don't know. You know, you're taught to bet the other way when you have a big spread in the NFL, at least, not college. So the Cardinals of Arizona are favored by three and a half over the Eagles. That's the 830 game. They moved. They flexed it. It was supposed to be the... uh, which game was it supposed to be? Uh, I think it was supposed to be... No, no, no. I don't know. I don't remember. They had to flex it for sure because it was somebody bad. But, um, yeah, you got to like the Cardinals minus three and a half over the Eagles. The Eagles got lucky last week because they were playing the Bills. The Cardinals aren't bad at home on the road. That should work out. Especially if you can buy it to three. That would be even better. The Panthers and the Giants... Um, I know people are expecting the Giants to play tough. I, I bet the Panthers are only minus six. I'm taking the Panthers all the way. Betting against the Giants. 
absolute. I know the Giants are very good at beating beating unbeaten teams, but they're not playing the way they were when they beat the Patriots. I do believe the Panthers will win and cover. And the Seahawks are also minus 14 and a half over the Browns, and they're playing at home. Forget about it. That They're going to win by 20. The Packers over the Raiders. I don't know. The Packers aren't playing very well. It's only minus three and a half, but it's a tough one. The Dolphins and the Chargers. What a crappy game. Don't bet on that one. Take the home team, I guess. Although the Dolphins always score. I mean, you would think the Chargers suck, but I don't know. They somehow kept the Chiefs in check. I don't know. Then you got the Broncos and the Steelers. Now, this is a tough one because the problem is I think the Steelers are going to beat the shit out of the Broncos, but I really want the Broncos to win because it helps the Jets. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. The Steelers are playing crazy. I mean, they're playing crazy. I hate them so much. And then the Bengals over the 49ers with a backup quarter, two backup quarterbacks. Uh, I I don't know. I, I think the Bengals quarterback, what is his name, A.G. McCarron? I don't think he's that bad, and the 49ers are bad. I, I think I'm going to take the Bengals. That might have been that Sunday night game. And they just took it off. And then Monday night, the Lions and the Saints. We know the Lions stink and the Saints are playing great. That's the game of the week. Monday night, the Saints minus three. You will win all your money. The Saints minus three over the stupid Lions. I don't know why it's three. Is it a sucker's bet? Maybe because they still think the Saints aren't playing that good, but they are. Saints are back. It's too late. And they're not like what they used to be. Now, uh... I want to talk about the Golden Globes because uh, for several reasons. First of all, Sarah Silverman nominated for a SAG Award for that uh, movie I was telling you about, uh, I Smile Back. Nominated for Best Actress with Kate Blanchett. I mean, that's pretty good. I told you it was a performance. And, I, I, you know, she probably should thank me since I had a lot to do with that movie. You know, I helped her with her lines. I mean, I said, there, I go like, uh, why don't you try it this way? Yeah, it's just like Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie. It was amazing. You know, because the people know where to come from to get good acting advice. I'm unbelievable. Anyway, uh, so she was nominated, which is very good. And I'm very happy for her and proud of her. Uh, but for the gold, she wasn't nominated for Golden Globe. That would have been a uh, big deal. But SAG Awards, pretty good. Uh, I vote for those, too. I told her I was voting for that girl whose name I can't pronounce, Sayarsi Ronan, uh, who's in Brooklyn. I'm voting for her because I told I told Tara, I said, listen, I've had a deal with CRC uh, for years that if she did get nominated, I would vote for her with my SAG, you know, thing, whatever. I do vote. So I'm going to vote for somebody other than Sarah. hope she loses by one vote and then be like, why didn't you vote for me? Uh, I just didn't feel the performance was that great. So the best for the Golden Globes... The best motion picture, drama. Remember, they have two categories, drama and comedy. So that movie Carol with the Kate Blanchett and Mara Rooney playing lesbians is kind of hot, but it's not going to be what you expect, probably. And uh, The Revenant, which is that movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Room, I have no idea what that is. And this movie Spotlight, which everybody's talking about. And for some reason, Mad Max Fury Road. Clearly, wasn't a lot to choose from. Here's the weird one. Motion picture comedy. The Big Short. The Big Short and Joy. Joy hasn't even come out yet. This seems wrong. 
It's completely unacceptable that that's nominated. No one has seen it. Um, Trainwreck makes sense. But here's the weird one. The Martian. Why the hell is The Martian nominated for Best Comedy? I, I tweeted this week and I said, I, I mean, I do enjoy uh, Mark Wahlberg singing and dancing in it, but uh, it doesn't make any... Is it a comedy? Did I miss... I didn't see it. Am I missing something? Is it? Is it hilarious that he gets lost in space? Is it like Castaway, which was hilarious when he was talking to that volleyball... That was so... He's talking to Wilson. <laughs> is it? Is it like that? Why didn't they take... Why not put Mad Max in the comedy section and put The Martian where it belongs in motion picture drama? And I can't wait to see that movie. I'm looking forward to that. I really do want to see that. So then you have your... Uh, that's pretty much what I'm talking about. But Amy Schumer got nominated for Trainwreck, which is very impressive because they have a comedy and you know drama category, so you can be... So her and Jennifer Lawrence, who are friends now, are both going to wear the same dress uh, to the Golden Globes, which I think is really funny. Amy Schumer, unbelievable. Yeah, I did it with her last night. Hey, you know how it is. I'm a player. Uh, I don't really care about anything else. Everybody from the big short is... Uh, and Al Pacino got nominated for Danny Collins. He was horrible in that. That movie sucks, and that just shows you... He's Al Pacino, so we're going to nominate him anyway, even for the crap that he couldn't even remember any lyrics when he came in and tried to sing with Chicago. We talked about this before. Um, I don't really care about anything else. That girl from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was nominated for Best Actress in a TV Series. She is really good. You know, she's really good. Jamie D. Curtis got nominated for Scream Queens. I, finally, I found out who the killer was. I waited 12 episodes and found out... Um, it was all right. I'm glad I stuck with it, I guess. I don't know. If it goes on, I'm not watching. But like I said, girls were hot. Kind of a great ending, actually. Uh, good twist, you know? A very good twist in a in a movie like that. So the more I think about it, the more it did, it was at least worth watching. Unlike Smallville, you know, where I waited 10 years to see, you know, wait for the ending. I was so disappointed. I was still angry. Uh... Ava Green, we were talking about her last week, how hot she is. She was nominated for Penny Dreadful, which I've, I've yet to see, but everybody tells me it's great. John Hamm nominated again. Uh, Rob Lowe, that's what I wanted to say. Nominated for The Grinder. Yes! Yes! You know who's going to win? Jeffrey Tambor again, probably for Transparent. But I hope Rob Lowe wins. How great would that be? That would ensure that you would think it would at least go another year god it's a great show it really is if you've been watching it you know let me know tweet me and tell me you like it too uh so i think that's all i wanted to say about that i don't care about anything else i don't like the golden globes i don't care i don't want to watch it i enjoy the movie part but the tv part i can do without it's just stupid and people suck aaron sorkin got nominated again let me play uh, another thing for you that i had from last week Tell me if you find this interesting. Maybe you won't. Well, we played a scene from The American President, which is a uh, Rob Reiner film uh, with uh, Michael Douglas as the president of the United States, doing an excellent job. And a script by Aaron Sorkin, you know, who is really good at writing this kind of stuff. 
And so we played it at the top of the uh, show last week where Michael Douglas has his uh, speech uh, because it was relevant to the kind of stuff that Donald Trump is talking about. And uh, that... I would, I'm all a mess, I think, today. I'm sorry. Uh, I just I wanted to play to remind you of it. The reason Bob devotes so much time and energy to shouting at the rain was that he simply didn't get it. Well, I was wrong. Bob's problem isn't that he doesn't get it. Bob's problem is that he can't sell it. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things, and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. I mean, that's so relevant to what's happening now with Donald Trump, and that's why it's so interesting. And, you know, I like Trump, and it's so hilarious that now Tom Brady's involved because he's Donald Trump is probably friends with a lot of people like that where now you're not even allowed to say you're, you're friendly with him. Listen, the stuff he's saying is just like what Richard Dreyfuss' character in American President is doing, except people want answers and they don't like the San Bernardino thing so if he's saying let's keep all Muslims out that's really radical to do it's really strange it's uh it might not be thinking correctly but it is what people want to hear because everybody's sick and scared it's exactly what Aaron Sorkin wrote in this thing and that's how you get elected but it's weird it's like if he had a plan and he was like smarter and you could combine him with, you know, somebody who's had a little bit more experience, you might be able to come up with a plan for something like that where maybe you do shut out Muslims for a period of I know it sounds horrible for for a period of time until you can come up with a plan that everybody can then we can bring it back, you know, it's coming out wrong, but you know, Lots of people are getting on board because people are scared and it's real messed up. And in L.A., two days ago before the election, they, you know, it's all getting fakakta. And uh, something has to be done. So he's the only one that's saying stuff. You see these re- debates and all these other idiots are just going like, what I'm going to do with first ISIS has to be destroyed. But nobody tells you how because nobody knows how. Uh, oh. All those people are bad, but I like Chris Christie. I I told you, I love this election. I like Hillary Clinton. I like Bernie Sanders. I like Chris Christie a lot. I like I like Donald Trump. I, I don't think there's any way to lose. Um, I think it's exciting. I think there's some good people. I think we'll be okay. You know, I've been scared of a lot of elections, you know, like Carter. <laughs> now, you took some orange sunshine. Uh but here's, uh, again, this is why I uh, was playing this whole thing, is that I also, for some reason, you know, I was a, a lot of times I'll look up the Siskel and Ebert reviews of these movies from a long time ago that to see what their reactions was, and here's the American president one, and it's, for me, it's quite fascinating. I hope you like it, too, because we all, all of us, you know, my listener friends, we all seem to have the same sensibility. <laughs> White House is the single greatest home court advantage in the modern world. 
I learned that one the hard way. Michael Douglas is the president of the United States and a widower and Annette Bening is the Washington lobbyist who catches his eye and his heart in The American President. It's one of five new movies we'll review this week, including Jim Carrey in the new Ace Ventura adventure <laughs> and Emma Thompson as an unconventional British artist. And we'll take a look at a surprising scene that was clipped out of the cult movie Clerks. I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Our first film is The American President, and it's a flat-out winner. One of the year's best, a terrific old-fashioned entertainment with a thoroughly contemporary screenplay by Aaron Sorkin, who can write dialogue with the very best, and I just have to credit him first. What a writing job. The American President is a glorious romance set in the White House as the widowed President of the United States, convincingly played by Michael Douglas, takes a liking to a feisty environmental lobbyist played in a dazzling performance by Annette Bening. She's just questioned his commitment to the environment, and he's invited her into his office for a chat. Mr. President, what you saw in there was nothing more than vanity run amok. I was showing off for a colleague who doesn't think very much of me. It would be a real injustice for you to hold the GDC accountable for my behavior today, on top of which I am monumentally sorry for having insulted you like that. Are you under the impression I'm mad at you? Another solid character in this wonderful story, the chief of staff and the president's best friend from college, well played by Martin Sheen. What would happen if I called Sidney Wade and asked her to be my date at the state dinner on Thursday evening? You're not serious. Don't I sound serious? The president can't just go out on a date. Totally infatuated with her, and Benning makes you see why. He calls her up for a date, the first one he'll have in his three years in office. Well, that's it. That's why I was calling. Sydney? Sydney, Congress doesn't take this long. Mr. President, you have asked me to join you in representing our country. I'm honored. I'm equal to the task. I won't let you down, sir. Sydney, this is just dinner. We're not going to be doing espionage or anything. And then there is the first date. Again, smart writing. And Annette Benning is absolutely luminous. Do I date a lot? Yeah. No, how about you? Me? Well, lately I seem to be going out on a lot of first dates. Well, then your experience at this. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can ask me anything. Well, how are we doing so far? It's hard to say at this point. So far, it's just your typical first date stuff. Damn, and I want to be different from the other guys. The American president is very smart and quite credible about politics as the president finds himself suddenly under attack from the Republican senator running against him, played by Richard Dreyfus. Networks and newspapers like ratings and circulation or all the bitching we do about liberal bias in the press when it comes to a good character debate. The press is an unwitting accomplice. Director Rob Reiner deserves a lot of credit because at a time when we're all very smart video-wise about the White House and press briefings, everybody watching CNN and C-SPAN, he has created a film that feels real and never glitches. And Michael Douglas is at the top of his contemporary man form. All in all, the American president is a glorious, old-fashioned, yet sparkling new entertainment. I can't recommend it any higher. I thought it was terrific. When I wasn't laughing, I was smiling. Right. And then there were the heart-tugging moments. It's very hard to make a good love story. It's really hard to make a good comedy. Right. It's really hard to make an intelligent movie, and it's almost impossible these days to make a good political picture. And right. Rob Reiner has done all 
for. Yeah. This is a terrific movie. Well, really you know, is. the other picture, I mean, people thrilled to Apollo 13 and said, you know, this is mm -hmm. the kind of entertainment that Hollywood can make best. Well, this is the other kind, too. Yeah. And we haven't had one quite like this in an awfully long time. I, I haven't, I keep saying how great Annette Bening looks. And I don't mean it just as a comment on her physical beauty. No. This is coming out of her soul. Yeah, it's personality. It is. It's it, per and that's why the president is a, is a, is uh, attracted to her. It, yeah. it, it, she is really it, something in this film. You know, Rob Reiner's last movie was North. And that Our was... Our selection of the worst of the year. I said, I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. It's nice that Reiner's next film, I can say, I loved it. I miss those guys so much. They were so awesome. And there's nobody like that anymore. And I guess, you know, it's just... Um, I think they're making a movie about Roger Ebert. I mean, I know I played that long clip, probably never played it long, but I'm, I'm fascinated by those guys. I really liked them, Siskel and Ebert. They were fascinating. And, you know, when they both liked something, it was pretty good. But that, that, so that movie, The American President, which is, you know, my favorite film of all time, but it's just so relevant now, 20 years later, 1995 it came out. 20 years later, Aaron Sorkin, who we know is a, an Oscar-winning writer and writes really good political stuff, and you know that Facebook movie is great um, the, social, the social network um, which he won for and well also you know he's, we know he's like a big coked up guy or whatever he's like interesting and he writes really good political stuff and you know Rob Reiner has made some of the my favorite I mean Few Good Men is such a really interesting great film and obviously Spinal Tap is the shit and The Princess Bride and then it's funny they bring up his one clinker uh misery rob reiner you know made some really really good stuff i don't think he does that much anymore but uh the american president was one of those ones i always thought got kind of lost and it's really fun and it's interesting and uh i just love hearing them love it so i remember watching it i was like oh i wonder if ebert's gonna like it too and he goes i loved this movie i don't know i really do miss those guys used to love watching that right saturday nights around seven o'clock just before you go out you know i tweet every saturday saying like around six o'clock best time to listen to the podcast you know especially this time of the year you know when it gets dark early and it's a little cold and you're going out saturday night listen to the podcast around six o'clock have have me in the background as your pal you know i used to do that with siskel and ebert i guess or saturday with sinatra one of those things you know just before you go out and you just have a nice nice noise in the background uh so i don't know i was gonna you know i I like those clips. I like um, I like going back and seeing what they thought of movies that I really, really enjoy and if they felt similar. And You can see they were gushing over this one. And again, I just bring it up because it's just so relevant to this particular election. It's quite fascinating. So also, uh, I wanted to say, I just saw in the paper today, remember we always talk about those women... Uh, I know it sounds. I know I have to always start. It sounds very sexist, and it is in many ways. But those three girls now that I have in my refrigerator that um, hurt others by being selfish and weird and unreasonable. Um, the one, my neighbor, who fell off the balcony because she wouldn't listen to the guy saying, "Please don't sit there." Uh, the one last week who you know, had to go back and get her cell phone and then got hit by a car and then a cop got injured while he was waiting because he got hit by a car. And then remember the parents are uh, suing. They want to sue the people because they didn't. Uh, that's what kills me the most. 
because they didn't hold on to her and they let her get her purse even when they told her please don't go which they would have sued her for harassment then if they did hold on to her too long well the one that went in front of the metro north for some god knows reason when everybody said please take your car off the train tracks and she's like what uh this horrible woman uh who ellen brody who also left you and killed a whole bunch of people in this train wreck i mean because she's stupid now the family wants to sue the mta how dare they aren't they embarrassed it was her fault sitting in front of the tracks and they want to they want to they plan to file a wrongful death suit against the mta claiming a poorly designed crossing led to the crash shame on them shame on them but you take the shot i say it every week you take the shot but you got to feel not good about yourself for doing that also this week um, a woman jumped out uh, a window right over this restaurant that i live right near right next door to and hit another woman as she was uh trying to kill herself on the street isn't that funny you're trying to kill yourself, but it's a very selfish act when you commit suicide to the people that care about you. And then it gets even more selfish if you hurt somebody in the act of doing that, like falling on them, you know, in the middle of the street when they're clearly not looking up for shame. Uh, one other thing I had in the news was that there was a party promoter who's using his Airbnb to rent out his Bronx pad for booze-fueled debauchery that included strippers and women licking whipped cream off each other, okay? The home is a huge outdoor patio. It includes a fire pit and a stage with a stripper pole, professional lighting, sound So the neighbors obviously complained. Now, the way the story goes, they complained to their state senator, stop the noise and the nudity on the street. Now, there's, there's photos of past events show women sprawled out on the deck in thongs and with their bras pulled up to expose their breasts. Now, here's the best part. This is why I bring it up. Jean Presta, 58, and her husband, Sal, are among the neighbors asking their state senator to stop the noise. Now, what man is going to have a problem with these girls... Uh, hanging around in thogs and pull up their bras he's got to feel like an idiot that his name's in the paper with his wife you know that's all the wife and he's just like oh yeah i guess <laughs> i feel so bad for that dude she's you know she reminds me of mrs kravitz from bewitch abner there's something going on at the stevens place oh will you just leave it alone already no I see breasts and I see thongs. Where? Abner, how dare you? <laughs> My Charles Nelson Riley. Uh, a classic uh, for this time of the year <laughs> for no reason. Um, let's go back to this. Today? Just for a few minutes. We're not in the same room, you know. Oh, well, that's too bad. You ought to bring them home with you some night for dinner so that you can get better acquainted. Anytime. Katie won't mind. 
Well, thank you, Aunt Lila, but I'll have a lot of homework to do if I want to make up my grades. Well, that's the spirit, but don't work too hard. You know, all work and no play makes Jack, uh, Jill, a dull girl. <laughs> that's good dialogue. I think Aaron Sorkin wrote this a long time ago. Boy, it's boring with the parents. With the kids, it's so much more fun. I'm over, Palsy. What makes you think you're a traffic stopper, big shot? Women. Always around a guy's neck like a millstone. What oh, mean? isn't that the truth? He knows how it is. Women, that's the problem with women. They're always around a guy's neck like a millstone. I mean, am I right? Oh, my God. There it is in black and white. Women. Always around a guy's neck like a millstone. Why? None of your business. Hey, my favorite record. Let's dance. <laughs> yeah. Woo. That's my favorite record, too. This is called the Always Around Your Neck Like a Millstone. Yeah. All right, everybody, listen. Let's get into our show for tonight. It's the Dave Jessica Show. Next week, we got bowl games, and we got Christmas with the Godfather Part 2. I hope you have a great week. It's going to be almost uh, Christmas time. Hopefully, it's going to get a little colder because we need it this time of the year. And I'll see you next week on the podcast. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I think it was a great night tonight. Bye. Next episode, Steady Gets an Idea.